You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to start a brand new teaching series, and we're just calling it this, The Priorities of Christmas. The priorities of Christmas. And uh, the reason we're talking about the priorities of Christmas is simply because in this season, in the holiday season, as we get closer to Christmas, what happens oftentimes is we are consumed with busyness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Consumed with busyness. There's so many things. There's this work party. There's this gathering. And as you get closer to the holidays, maybe you experience this over Thanksgiving. Maybe you got a bunch of people that want you to come to their house for the holiday, for the Christmas or Thanksgiving. You just feel like you're getting torn in a million different directions. You got to buy presents. You got to make sure, you know, your calendar's all straightened away. And we can get consumed with things that really, if we're being honest, are not, thing, not, they're not things that should be a priority in our lives. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the story of Christmas, and we're going to talk about what things should be a priority in our lives. What do we see in God's Word that are a priority that we can apply to our lives? Busyness is one of the greatest enemies of discipleship. It's one of the greatest enemies of discipleship. It's what will keep you from reading God's Word every day. It's what will keep you from worshiping God every day and spending time in prayer every day. Busyness will keep you from church. It will keep you and your family out of church and say, we're not going to be planted. We're just going to go. Sometimes we will not be committed, though, because why? Usually there's busyness involved. There's always something that we can pawn it off on. Well, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to commit. I can't because of fill in the blank. And so busyness is one of those things that it will work against our growth as we walk with Jesus. One pastor said it this way, and I thought this was really good. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, right? If he can't make you cheat on your spouse, he'll just make your uh, schedule really busy so you don't invest in the relationship or invest in your kids and you have no relationship with your family at all and your family will drift into two different directions. If he can't make you, uh, you know, a liar, he will just make your life really busy where you're so busy you don't have time to invest in other people, other relationships, walk with other people. You're not there for other people until eventually you're so isolated you have no one around you to walk with you in this life. Scripture says that's not good. You need to be surrounded with community. The devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So what priorities should we be focusing on in this Christmas season? Today we're going to talk about the priority of worship, the priority of worship. As we look at the Christmas story, we're going to look at three different characters, three different people groups in the story of Christmas, and each of them worshiped in a unique way, all of them are very practical, and, and I think sometimes this seem, may seem a little elementary, but it's the little things, the practical things, the elementary things that will change our lives if we will do what we see in Scripture. So number one is this, uh, to worship in song, to worship in song. You don't have to be a good singer to worship in song. Hopefully you know that. <laughs> you don't have to be a good singer to worship in song. Uh, we're going to look at the song of Mary. Uh, Mary the, the mother of Jesus, she receives word from the angel that she is going to carry God as a baby and deliver him. She receives this word, like no pressure, right? Like 
It's just, it's just the savior of the world, you know, and it's on you as a teenager. That's fine. Anyway, she's, she's feeling this pressure, but her response to it as she surrounds and as she is telling her family about it, she responds in an act of worship. She responds in a song of worship. And this is where we see the song of Mary. And it's actually taken from, she is quoting uh, a song of Hannah, which is found in 1 Samuel, but we'll read it from the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. It says this, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Verse 51. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So here she is quoting this song of Hannah, but she is singing it from her heart. And she is, the song of Mary is coming out of her and in response to God and a word from the Lord. There's a few takeaways that we can take away. The first one is this. The first thing she does is Mary magnifies the Lord. She magnifies the Lord. She does not magnify herself and she does not magnify her problem or the weight and the responsibility of what she has in her life. She magnifies the Lord. She says what? Mighty, the mighty one is holy. He shows mercy. I rejoice in him, my savior. She is putting him up, magnifying the Lord, saying, look at how great the Lord is. I think sometimes in our, uh, the new kind of modern uh, worship culture, sometimes our, these new, our new worship songs can be focused on me and I. If you're listening to it and you hear more of I and me in the worship song than you do the Lord or Jesus or God, the Holy One, maybe that's not, it might not be a bad song. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we need to always focus on, is my worship focused on God or is it more focused on me being an overcomer? Now, there's a time and a place for those songs, but when it comes to worship, worship is worshiping the living God. It's not me focusing on my problem that I'm going to overcome. It's not me focusing on me and getting the strength to do it. No, it's when I focus on God, those things take care of themselves. But too many times we get distracted with, Lord, uh, you know, I, me, this is not what Mary does. If she ever talks about herself, what does she say? Lowly, humble. I am down here. God, you are so far up there. She's always magnifying the Lord. And she, Mary reminds herself of God's mighty works. That's a huge part of worship. She reminds herself of God's mighty works. She says, he has done great things. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has filled the hungry. He is faithful to his promises to our ancestors and from generation to generation. She is reminding herself, look, he has done great things. He has continued to do great things. And I know for generation to generation, he's gonna continue to do great things. And that includes me. She is reminding herself, number one, he is, he is so much far above us. He is magnifying him. But also she's acknowledging the fact that that he has done great things. And when I remember that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he's done amazing things back then, he, will can, he can and he will do things in my life whenever I walk in agreement to his word. Amen? So she's reminding herself of this. And so our worship to God should reflect those two things as well. We are going to magnify God, and we're not going to magnify the problem. 
There are times where you're going to get a word, a diagnosis, something's going on in your life, something happens in your life, and all you can see in front of you, it's like an elephant in the room, all you can see is the problem spiritually. We have got to make sure that we remind ourselves that God is so much greater than the problem that we face. It does not mean that the problem does not exist. It does not mean that the problem is something serious. It does not mean that the problem might be from the doctor, this could be a death sentence. It could lead to something tragic. I'm not saying that, but I am saying if we remember how great our God is, and if we remember that there's not a war going on between two great beings, there is God, the living God, the almighty God, and then, yeah, there is a spiritual enemy who is the devil, but he is not equal to God. If God, imagine God as a, a giant, someone that is massive, and imagine the devil as an ant. That is a more accurate comparison of what's going on between two, these two things, that, these two kingdoms that are going back and forth. We must magnify God, not our problem. And don't look at how big the problem is. How big is my God? He is so good. He is so mighty. He is so far above anything else. And I need to remind myself of his faithfulness to his word. Remind myself of his faithfulness to his word. Psalm 96, we read this last week, but it's worth repeating. Psalm 96, verse 2, sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he's, he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. What is this talking about? Every day, my mouth, my conversations should be filled with the goodness of God. How often am I talking about the goodness of God? I might not be in a conversation, and you may be a stay-at-home mom, but guess what? You can be talking to yourself about the goodness of God. All the things that he has done. What? Each day, proclaim the good news. Each day, publish his glorious deeds. Tell everyone the amazing things that he does. What does this do? It builds my faith. God, I thank you that you're so good. God, I thank you that you're so faithful. Lord, we have, a, we, we have a need right now. We have something that's weighing heavy on us. But Lord, I thank you that you're so much bigger than that. God, I thank you that as I, I worship you today, Lord, I know that you're going to come through. You always come through. You never let your, 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 your kids down. You, your promises are yes and amen. And so, Lord, I acknowledge that in your timing, you're going to work all this out for my favor, for my good. And if it's not good, then you're not done. And so, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I trust you. You're good. And what am I doing? I'm just building my faith. Guess what? You don't have to be on a street corner saying that. You can be in your car. You can be changing a diaper. You can be washing dishes. You can, you can be on the job site. Like, you don't have to do that. There's a time in my life where I worked for Chick-fil-A, and I talk about this quite a bit. But when I worked at Chick-fil-A, when I got started, they gave me the grunt job of bread and the chicken in the back, right? It's the worst job, and just kind of like see what you're made of. So you're back there, and you're bread and chicken. And, well, it's kind of most of the time it's a one-man job. And so I'm back there, and I'm like, I'm just praising God while I'm breading the Lord's chicken, somebody. Like, I'm just back there. But I use the opportunity. What? No one else is around. I'm not trying to be weird or flaky. I use the time in prayer. I pray in the Spirit. I thank God for His goodness. I thank God for His provision. I thank God for what's next. And did I want to be bread and chicken that day? Most of the time, I didn't. I didn't want to be there. But I needed to to support my family. So that's where I was. But I took the opportunity to what? Each day, proclaim the good news. Publish His glorious deeds. Tell everyone. When I invite worship of song into my life, it changes the atmosphere of my day. When we spend time in worship every day, it doesn't mean you have to stand, you know, like we do in service and just stand there for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes with your hands up. That's not what I'm talking about. If you would just turn on worship music in the background of your home, it will change the atmosphere of your home. 
If you would turn on worship music on your way to work, it will change the atmosphere of your day at work. If you would turn on worship music on the job site, <laughs> no matter who's listening, it will change the atmosphere of your day. I promise you that. Worship is a powerful thing. Worship in song. And when we do that every day, we are acting just like Mary did. Her response to God was, let me worship in song. You don't got to be a great singer to worship in song. Point number two is this, worship in presence. We're talking about physical presence, being close with one another, being close to other people, being close to God. That's the presence that we're talking about. Where we spend our time reveals our priorities. Where we spend our time reveals our priorities, right? Sometimes we can come up with excuses on why we don't do things, why we're not someplace. But at the end of the day, we do what we want to do, plainly put. We go where we want to go, and if I want to go somewhere bad enough, I will make a way to get there, right? If I'm going to go to a college football game bad enough, I will find a way to get there. I'll get up early if I have to. I'll drive all night if I have to, right? But if I got to get up early for church, ah, it's a little chilly this morning. I might just roll over, right? Like, see, we, we, we do what we want to do. We make a way for the things that we want and that are priorities in our life. And so next in the Christmas story, we see the shepherds responding in worship. So let's go to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10. So the angels appeared to them. Here the shepherds are in the field, and this is what happens in Luke 2 verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. For there is born to this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Look at this, let us now go to Bethlehem and see. Let us go and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go and see. What was their response in worship? We got if the Messiah is here, we got to go. We got to be there. If this is true, we got to see. We have got to be there with him. We've got to be close with him. So they desired to be in the presence of the Messiah. And I think this is a great reminder for us of why is it important for us to worship every time we come together and gather as a church? And why is it important for us to be in church on a regular basis? Like not a few times a month, but on a regular basis, weekly be in church. It reminds us of God's presence. His presence is so much more profound than we can even understand. There is God's omnipresence, which is everywhere. He's here, he's across the world, and he's available to his kids at the same time. Right? I'm not waiting in line to get God's ear. His omnipresence is everywhere, all at the same time. If you're a believer, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, his inner presence through the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. You carry a piece of him. You're never alone. He's always with you. You have access to his spirit as you go through your day so you can hear him, so you can be convicted by him if you need to, so he can guide you and help you through this life. Omnipresence, inner presence, but scripture shows us that there's also a manifest presence. Manifest presence. Here's what that means. It's kind of a, an old school word, but it means this. His made known presence. His made known presence, his manifest presence happens when we gather together in community. 
when two or more are gathered and we are here together, Scripture shows us that in church gatherings, when believers get together, that it's not just a, a, a group of good people getting together, that when believers get together, God shows up. In fact, Scripture says this, Matthew 18, verse 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. In fact, let me, let me read verse 19 to you. I don't have a slide for it, so let me just read it here. It says this, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Here's the thing about the manifest presence of God, the made known presence of God. The manifest presence of God always comes with the power of God. It always comes with the power of God. Why is it important to be in church around other believers on a regular basis? Because when we get together, it's not just so we can watch a good show from somebody on stage. No, it is time to get together and God himself shows up when we gather together. This is literally God's house. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the inner presence. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But his manifest presence is available when believers get together. And the manifest presence of God is the only thing that makes the church different than any other organization in the world. There's a lot of good organizations that are getting together on a regular basis, but we are the only people group that when we get together, the living God shows up. Not a fake God, not just uh, here, here's what we're doing today, uh, you know, here's the agenda, here's how we're going to serve people today. That's great. But when the church gets together, the living God, the true God shows up, and it's the only place that that happens. That's what sets the church apart. So one of the priorities that we can apply from the Christmas story is the priority of keeping a fire, keeping a passion for being in the presence of God through weekly church attendance. What was the, 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 <laughs> the shepherds, what did they say? If this is true, we're going. We've got to go see. We were going to go to Bethlehem and see. When we think about that, these shepherds, they weren't doing nothing. Do we think they had all the time in the world? They think, we think they didn't have an excuse? It's the middle of the night, y'all. <laughs> we got a job to do. We have sheep here. What was their response? If Jesus is there, you'll find me there. What about all of our stuff? <laughs> what about my responsibilities? If Jesus is there, you'll find me there. And I pray that we would have a heart and a fire and a passion for gathering together in church community that's like that. Man, we traveled all week. It's been a late night. But look, I got I to gotta get to church. I need to be in the presence of God with my fellow believers. I need to get into that deeper level of the presence of God. And so um, one question that we could ask, you could ask yourself, this is a good reflection question, is am I excited to be in God's presence on Sunday? On Sunday morning when I wake up, am I excited to be in the presence of God? Or is it like, hey, we got to go to church? Or do we have to go to church, right? Do we have to? Guess we better. Am I excited to be in the presence of God? Or is it something I have to do? If it's something I have to do, I've turned church attendance into a religious duty that I just check off for, so I can make myself feel better. We went to church. I'm good. When God's saying, I just wanted to spend time with you. <laughs> Would you come? Would you come to my house? 
be with other believers who are going to encourage you, who are going to lift your head when you need it, who are going to surround you when you're going through things, who are going to be there for you, who you can have community and you can't, when you're not going to walk alone, you have people that are going to walk with you and you will be refreshed. Psalm 92 says it this way, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, Psalm 92, 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Fresh and flourishing. This seems elementary, but it's very profound. You can't be planted somewhere you rarely go, right? <laughs> you can't be planted somewhere if I'm never there or if I'm there only, only sometimes. But Scripture says when you're planted, look at the promises that come from being planted in the house of the Lord. There's a lot of people who are planted in places. But Scripture says there are promises when you're planted in the house of the Lord. People are planted in their job. They're planted in their friend group. They're planted um, in some other community, uh, a sports team or a sport for their kid, whatever. They're planted somewhere. But there is promises and goodness and blessing that comes from being planted where? In God's house. And what does it say? There's a good sign. A good sign of being planted in a church, in, in the house of the Lord, is that when your life is refreshed and flourishing and producing fruit. If I'm not refreshed when I come to church, if I'm not flourishing in my spiritual walk with God, if I'm not producing the fruit of the Spirit everywhere that I go, am I planted? That should be my question. What it, what it, what's going on in my life? Now, it doesn't mean that every day is sunshine and rainbows. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that when storms come, you will have a foundation because you're rooted in something that's solid in good soil. When storms come, when the heat of life comes and tries to scorch your spiritual life, you will be rooted in a place where you still get life from, where you can still pull nutrients out of the soil because it's good soil. When you're planted in the house of the Lord, it doesn't mean that every, that every day is perfect, but it does mean, according to Scripture, that I should be refreshed, flourishing, producing much fruit. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me, right? They shall bear fruit in old age. That's what I want. I'm not here for a short little sprint of time. Lord, I want to go the distance. I want to go the distance for you. I want to be here for the long haul. I want to be here for what you have for me. I don't want to just, you know, make my money, retire, and then never see, never see anyone ever again. No, I want to do what you want me to do, right? And if you want me to go and never see anybody again, that's fine. But no, I'm just joking. I want to be where you want me to be in my old age, still producing fruit. You can't be planted somewhere that you rarely go. So the presence and the power of God is available when we assemble together, when we gather together. So this, I would say this, that's why when you don't feel like going to church, it's the best time to go to church. When I don't feel like going to church, it's the best time to go to church. It's the best time to go. When I don't feel it, it's when I need it the most. So I better get there. I better get into the presence of God. And that's why I said the shepherds, what? They had all, any excuse you wanted, they had it. I got work. Things are relying on me. My, my, my dad's going to get upset because I abandoned his sheep, which is our livelihood, right? I just, you know, they said, if Jesus is there, we're going. Let's go and see. They had a passion for being in the presence of the Messiah, and that's how they worshiped. And I would pray that would be for us as well. Number three is this, worship and generosity. The last group of people that we see when it comes to worship in the Christmas story is the wise men. And they worshiped with gift giving. They showed up in a way where they said, we have something to present to the living God. So we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter two now, starting in verse nine. It says, the star which they had seen in the east went before them 
till it came and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. For us, those things really don't mean much. Maybe gold does. That's still a great gift today. Amen. But for us, the, what, what, is, what is the meaning of this? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was a symbol of divinity. They were acknowledging this is God in the flesh. This is the living God. This is God with flesh and bone on. This is 100% God, 100% man. The math doesn't add up, but that's spiritual math. This is God. Gold was divinity. Frankincense was used in worship as a symbol of holiness and righteousness, declaring that Jesus would live a pure life of righteousness, of holiness. Myrrh symbolizes bitterness, suffering, and affliction. It was used for cooking and different things, but it was mainly used in the drink given to Jesus when he was on the cross. So these gifts prophesy of Jesus' life and it prophesies of the hope of the world. This is the living God with flesh on. He's gonna live a righteous and a pure life like none of us ever could, but he is gonna suffer great affliction for us so that we could have the reward that he deserves. He's gonna take our punishment. So the wise men responded with generosity by giving things of value to Jesus. This is a great example, challenge for us as well. First John 3, verse 16, it says this, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need, but does not show compassion, shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Meaning this, it can't be. It says, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let us show the truth by our actions. One pastor said it this way. I love this. He said, talk is cheap. Love has feet. Talk is cheap. Love has feet. I can say that I love my spouse, but if I'm never serving my spouse, my actions reveal a different story. I can say I love them, but if I'm never serving them, something's not adding up. In fact, just a little marriage tip for you, for all the married couples in the room. Look, if you will focus every day asking yourself, what's something I can do today to make my spouse's life easier? And do it. If you do that every day, there's no greater marriage than two servants in love. There's no greater marriage than two servants in love. And that's God's desire for you, that you would serve one another in a selfless way and God would be glorified in your covenant relationship. That's a side message, but somebody needed that today. It's easy to say that you love someone, but your actions reveal the true nature of your heart. So there's two ways that we can worship in generosity. The first way is with generosity on behalf of God. On behalf of God. Meaning this, when I'm generous to other people because God is prompting me to. When I'm generous to other people because God's prompting me to. Proverbs eleven twenty four says it this way. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We can be a channel for God to use when it comes to generosity. That's why at our, uh, when you go out these doors, turn right. There's a resource table. It's a brown, black table. On there, we have generosity cards. 
We talk about them from time to time. It's an easy way to bless someone financially or however you want to. You give them some cookies or something. And on there, it just says, this is a little something to show you that God loves you. And on the back, it says, and so do we. We should be looking for ways. Lord, how can I be a channel for your blessing today? How can I be a channel to be generous to other people? When we, we say generous, we always think of finances. It's not always that. You know somebody you can put some Christmas lights on their house? You know somebody that's got a lot of leaves in their yard and they just don't have time or man, they just, they're, they're drowning in leaves and then their schedule's drowning, but you can go rake some leaves, bag them up. There's ways that we can be generous that's not always financial. And many times it's the ways that aren't financial that mean the most because we're willing to spend our time, which is the most valuable thing of all. We can be a channel for God to use. The more we give, the more God can use us. He says, refresh others and be refreshed yourself. That's why a lot of times when we're in need, we look for ways to bless other people. When our church, several months ago, when we were, been, were frantically looking for a building before we got, were able to lease this space at Global Ventures and we were kind of online only because we didn't have a space to meet, first thing we did is we started to give financially more than we ever did as a church. We upped our monthly giving to Global Ventures, to Mighty Oaks, uh, to some of our other places. We, began, we upped it all. Crisis Pregnancy Outreach, we upped our giving. Why? Because we're in need. <laughs> we needed the finances to get a place to lease. So we said, you know what? Refresh others. We ourselves will be refreshed. God has provided every step of the way. And we are well on our way to getting what God has for us in the next season of our church. The other way that we can be generous is on behalf of God is number one, in return to God is number two, returning to God, number two. Each week, this is why each week when we gather together, we give people a chance to produce the fruit of generosity through our tithes and our offerings. Tithe and offering is a very Christianese word, right? Both of those are very Christianese, it feels like. What is tithing? Tithing is giving God the first 10% of all of my income or all of my increase is what scripture says. I give it back to him. It's the first dollar out of every 10. It goes back to the bride of Christ. I'm not giving it to God. That's why I said it's returning to God. It's already his. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm giving you back what is rightfully yours. And I know that you're gonna do more <laughs> with 90% than I could do with 100%. Offering is anything above and beyond the first 10%. Malachi 3.10 says it this way. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will go, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. And here's the thing, we read Malachi 3.10 and, and there's a lot of people maybe grown up in church and people will claim, well, that's the Old Testament, that you know, tithing's passed away. Uh, but we fail to realize sometimes that tithing was not confined to the law of Moses. And that's where we miss it. We see tithing in the life of Abraham. We see a version of tithing even in the Garden of Eden. And in Matthew 23, in the New Testament, Jesus affirms tithing not as a lawful thing to do, but as an accepted discipline for disciples. Matthew 23. So when we say tithing, some people immediately, nah, I don't think so. You're not getting my money. And that's not my heart at all. Because tithing isn't a legal thing. Tithing is worship. It's not a legal thing. It's worship. By tithing, what I'm saying is I'm saying, God, I recognize you first. Jesus said you, can, you can't serve two masters. You're gonna serve God or you're gonna serve the spirit of mammon, which is the spirit of money. I put you first. You're first in my life. I trust you to take care of everything else. You know, 
there's that uh, Christmas movie. It's called A Christmas Story. You know, it's about the kid who's trying to get the BB gun. Everybody says, you're going to shoot your eye out. And so no one, and eventually, well, I won't tell you the end of the story. Uh, anyway, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. A Christmas Story. He's trying to get a BB gun. There's two kids. There's a scene where they're out on the playground. And there's two kids going back and forth. It's cold outside and snow on the ground. And there's a pole out there. And one of them's saying, hey, if you stick your tongue to this metal pole, it's going to stick. And the other one's like, no, it's not going to stick. Finally, they get to the point where the one kid, he, he jumps a bunch of protocol and he says, I triple dog dare you to do it. Right? Well, in kids' world, I got to do it now, right? It's triple dog dare. So he sticks his tongue to the pole and it sticks. And every time I read Malachi 3.10 and I see the end of it, try it put me to the test. This is the only time where God says you can test me. And as your pastor, not, I'm not saying God says it this way, but I'm saying as your pastor, my response to you is if, if you haven't taken a step of faith to trust God with your finances, putting him first, my response to you is I triple dog dare you. Just try it. See what God would do. Why? Because pastor Dan wants your money? I, no, I want you to obey God though. I want you to see his goodness in your life. Because I only hear two testimonies when it comes to tithing, and I'll close here. Here's the two testimonies. Non-tithers say we can't afford to tithe. Tithers say we're so blessed. There's only two testimonies. We can't afford it, and we're so blessed. We're so blessed doesn't mean I have a million dollars in the bank, but it does mean I've seen God work in my life and in my finances more than I can even, I can't even tell you the math doesn't add up. But every time we've had a need, God has met it because we put him first in our finances. We can't afford it. We're so blessed. You can't afford tithing until you start tithing. That's the principle. So I say, God, I'm gonna put you first. Try it. Just see. See what God would do. In this Christmas season, busyness will try to steal your devotion to Jesus, to the living God. Don't let it. Let's make a priority of being people who worship. Worship God in song. Fill your life this season with songs of worship. Worship in presence. Be passionate and devoted and committed to being in the manifest presence of God here on Sundays. Be committed to the church. Lastly, worship in generosity. Be generous on behalf of God. Look for ways to bless people. It's not always finances, but also worship God in returning to God what's rightfully his and watch what he will do in your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your, uh, your precious word that is alive, it's active, it's truth, it's light. And so Lord, I pray that today the light of your word would shine light on dark places in our lives, that we would understand, that we would see clearly things that we did not see before. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, who is our helper, that you would help us walk in obedience to your word. Lord, we can't do it alone. We need, we need your help. So would you help us this week, put feet to our faith, walk in obedience, and see all that you have for us. Lord, we're going to be a people that in a busy season, we have our priorities straight, and we're going to have a priority on worshiping you, the reason for this Christmas season. We love you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.